Well, good morning. So this morning we are continuing in our Christmas series where we're taking a look at a lot of the characters surrounding the birth of Christ, and we're taking a close look at them to see how their involvement, their presence actually shows us a lot about God's priorities and God's heart. And then as we get to know these characters, I think we're starting to see that God is begging us within this series to maybe take a look at our priorities and adjust them and change them as well. And so far in the first week, we covered Joseph and talked about a lot of tension he had in his life as he had to adopt God's priorities uh, over his priorities. Last week, we talked about the wise men, or better known, I think accurately known as, as the Magi. And today, we're going to talk about another set of characters present in the Christmas story, and they are the shepherds. Shepherds don't get talked about a whole lot. They're just kind of there hanging out. They weren't on the VIP list, maybe they're on the B list, but but there, it's incredible their presence in the Christmas story because it's going to reveal to us uh, a lot about God's timing. God's timing. Now, there have been uh, times in my life, likely yours as well, where we really wrestle with God's timing. It's okay to admit this. We're a very transparent church. It's okay to admit that sometimes when we look at the things we want for our life and then we look at God's timing, we're not always a fan of his timing. As we look in our lives, we want things done in a certain way, in a certain amount of time. And for the life of us, we can't figure out why an all-knowing, all-seeing, all-powerful God just refuses to wrap his mind around our schedule. And it drives us crazy. Now, this week, I, re- I heard a story of a man praying, and, and the man closed his eyes, and he said, God, and you know, as God does, he, he says, yes. And the guy said, well, God, I, I have a question. Can I ask you a question? And God said, you know what? Go right on ahead. The man said, well, God... Uh, what is a million years to you? God said, well, you see, a, a million years to me as God, it's just kind of like a second. Hmm. The man wondered, and he said, well, God, then what is a million dollars worth to you? And God said, oh, a million dollars to me is like a penny. So the man said, well, God, can I have a penny? And cheerfully, God said, of course, just a second. <laughs> and see, like our lives would look my life, your life, our lives would probably look so different. I mean, drastically different if we were the ones in control of time. But I hope today will serve as an encouragement for us to look into the details of our lives and trust God with his timing. Now, regarding God, in the book of Revelation, we see God stating, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. And the Alpha and Omega, it's the first and last letters of the Greek alphabet. And if we believe God at his word and trust that, that he is the beginning and he is the end, he is before all time and he will exist beyond all time into eternity, then the challenge before us today is to trust him with our lives, all the details of it, right here in kind of this often murky middle. Maybe we can trust an eternal God to bring things into our life, to fulfill his plan for our life at his timing. Let's talk about the shepherds for a bit. Uh, first off, shepherds, they were most often children. A lot of, most of the time, the nativity scenes, they get this kind of wrong. But, but most of the time, uh, the shepherds were children. They were typically the youngest boy in the family who would take responsibility of that role until they were strong enough to handle other responsibilities around the home. And being a shepherd, it wasn't a glamorous task. Their entire goal was to protect and provide for a flock of sheep. They would lead these sheep into good pastures where they could have good food so they wouldn't become malnourished. And then it was actually kind of strenuous at times because the shepherds would have to lead the sheep to calm, still water because the sheep 
honestly enough, they, they were scared of running water. And so the, the shepherd would be out there just trying to make sure that these sheep weren't malnourished and that they were healthy. And being a shepherd, uh, we don't think of sheep, I think, in, in like really high regard. We don't think about them much often, probably. But that was a, a way different in the Mediterranean first century culture, because sheep were just a valuable, valuable commodity. So much so that they couldn't be just left out to roam on their own. They're so valuable that shepherds would be with them for days, sometimes weeks at a time, uh, just to protect them, look out for their needs, and, and the occasional time they'd recover a lost one. And so it was a very disconnected role. As a child, you were probably so excited to, to wait to pass that responsibility off to a younger sibling. You probably couldn't wait to age out of that role so somebody else had to be out there tending the flock at all times. You couldn't wait for time to pass so you could get kind of an alteration or a promotion in your life. And although rare, tending a flock as an adult, it wouldn't have been a desirable or honorable position. Honestly, as an adult, if you were tending a flock, it means that you basically had the same responsibilities that a child was trusted with. You wouldn't have looked at your life and been in love with it. You would have wanted higher ambitions for your life than what you were currently experiencing. You would have wanted things to change. You probably would have been looking at your life wondering, how did things end up this way? How did life get this way? And in that case, I think we're a lot like the shepherds. You know, no matter what our age, no matter what our experience or background, I think a lot of us, we, we look at our lives and we want kind of a, a promotion in life. We want some kind of alteration in our life. We look at our lives and we say, I, I wish things were a little bit different here, a little bit different there. It's a varying degree. Some of us want an entirely new life. And we want certain things in our life, certain things out of our life. And, and the tension is we want it right now. If it were up to us, those changes would have already happened. But the problem is a lot of times it's not left up to our timing. And that drives us mad. So maybe we do the, the, the spiritual thing and we, we, we take steps to be honest with God, let him know where we're at as if he doesn't know, but we confess it to him and we say, God, this is the direction I want my life to go and I'm begging you to step in and act on my behalf because it's not bad things that we want. And sometimes God does. He, he acts right when we want him to, but sometimes he doesn't and we scratch our heads at his timing. We wish things were different now. And waiting on God and waiting on his timing, it, it's It's hard. It's difficult um, for us imperfect people existing down here. It's an all too familiar place for you and I. But I think that we can, as we move forward in the Christmas story today and talk about these shepherds, I think we can do more than just settle for identifying with their story, identifying what their life would have been like and finding commonality there. But as their story unfolds, one thing I think that we will see exist is that we can have hope from their story. We can have trust in their story. We can learn to believe that God's timing is best for our lives. If you want to follow along today, we're going to be in uh, the second chapter of our biblical book of Luke. We're going to be spending uh, most of our time there this morning. And as you get to, to chapter 2, you'll see verses 1 through 7. It, it details Mary and Joseph, Jesus' parents. They're traveling to Bethlehem where Mary would give birth to Jesus. And shortly after doing so, we read, that night, so the night of Jesus' birth, there were shepherds staying in the fields nearby and guarding their flocks of sheep. So as we, we talked just a minute ago, unlike most people in the evening, the shepherds, they're, they're not at home spending time with their friends. They're not spending time with their family. They're not in a warm home. I, I looked up the weather for, for Bethlehem on a December evening such as this, and it's going to be just below 40 degrees. 
And so, so they're, they're out there, the shepherds are, they're, they're, they're just watching some of the most unintelligent creatures God has ever created. They're trying to, to keep them safe from predators, keep them healthy while they're just sitting there in the cold dark. Little did the shepherds know that, that in the midst of what felt like that darkness, that, that life which you wish could change, that God was behind the scenes working out something incredible on their behalf. And although life may not have been exactly how they had hoped at that point up into their life as they were standing out there in the cold, in the dark, little did they know that, that God in his love, God in his goodness, and, and we, we cannot lose this today, but that God in his timing, not our timing, not their time, but in his timing, was doing something that would show such favor on their lives that these shepherds would never be the same. Little did they know that, that their waiting would be worth it, and, and God's timing is always worth it. So while they're tending to their flocks, Luke tells us, suddenly an angel of the Lord appeared among them and the radiance of the Lord's glory surrounded them. They were terrified, which I totally get. Like we think that like, oh, if God just, if his glory magically appeared, we'd be like, that's definitely God. It makes, I got goosebumps. That's not what happens in scripture. Like when the radiance of God's glory shows up, people are terrified. Like I totally get it. Like I wouldn't be uh, hopefully I'm taking myself off a pedestal, but like, I would be the first one to run. You guys would be the ones holding down the fort, right? If it was God's glory, I'd be out of here because I don't do scary stuff like that, right? That's why I don't go in our church basement alone. Those things happen in my life, right? But, but Luke tells us they were terrified, but the angel reassured them, don't be afraid. He said, I bring you good news that will bring great joy to all people. And I've always found that section a little bit comical uh, to the shepherd's expense, because this radiance of God's glory, right? It's surrounding these, these lowly shepherds. And the radiance of God's glory, it's, it's not like a, a puppy. Um, it's not soft. It's not cuddly. Like, it is terrifying. And in the midst of their terror, the angel says, oh, don't be afraid. Now, you can tell the angel is a guy because he thinks just a small piece of advice is going to fix a lot of emotions. Um, and and that's, that's very much like us. Fellas, there's a lot that's changed in 2,000 years. There's a whole lot more that hasn't. But the angel says, don't be afraid. But he also says this. I bring you good news that will bring great joy to all people. I bring you good news that will bring great joy to all people. Now, strategically speaking, you don't bring any kind of news to shepherds if your goal is for all people to hear it. Who are they going to tell? They don't have an, an audience. There's maybe just a couple of them out in the field. They spend their time with sheep. They have no influence for this news to get out to. In fact, in this day and age, just six miles, likely six to nine miles up the road at the temple, there's a priest who they consider the most holy person in that day and age. If you want good news to get out to all people, if you want somebody with spiritual weight behind their words... That's who you'd go. You tell the priest, you need to make this announcement. You don't ask shepherds to be influential in anything. Yet God arranges for shepherds in the middle of the night, in the middle of the darkness, in their mundane life. God uses shepherds to announce the most spiritually significant moment up until that point in the history of the world. A perfect king was born to save an imperfect world and God let the shepherds not the most holy people who probably thought they deserved it, but he let the shepherds in the middle of their dark, ho-hum life make the announcement. I love that that's the heart of our God. 
I love that, that he does stuff like that. He cares so much about our hearts and not our status. You go throughout the, the entire Bible and all throughout its history, you see that God uses the willing, not the perfect. He doesn't care about your status. He, he cares about your heart. And God will always use people who are willing to do what he asks them to do. That's never changed. The angels continued, the Savior, yes, the Messiah, the Lord, has been born today in Bethlehem, the city of David. And you will recognize him by this sign. You'll find a baby wrapped snugly in strips of cloth, lying in a manger. Suddenly, the angel was joined by a vast host of others, the armies of heaven, praising God and saying, glory to God in highest heaven and peace on earth to those with whom God is pleased. When the angels had returned to heaven, the shepherds said to each other, Let's go to Bethlehem. Let's see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. And they hurried to the village and found Mary and Joseph. And there was the baby lying in the manger. Now keep in mind that these shepherds would have been absolutely disgustingly filthy from, from their responsibility and from their roles out in the fields as shepherds, being with sheep. They would have been just nasty in, in appearance. They probably would stink. They're not all dressed to the nines here. They were filthy, but, but the angel didn't say, hey, I need you to go home, go clean yourself up, right? Then you can go to Jesus. No, they were welcomed and encouraged to go to Jesus just how they were, filth and all. And, and this is another thing I love that has never changed. I talk to, to, to many people throughout a year, and, and they, they always say things like, well, you know, when I get my life cleaned up, that's, that's when I'll get involved in church. Or, you know, like... I really need to get my life cleaned up before like, I follow Jesus. Like, I'll come to Jesus, but there's some stuff that I have to clean up first. And, and let it be known that, that Jesus doesn't care about your condition upon arrival. He just cares that you come to him. And he's not worried about how filthy you are or, or how good you've been. All he cares about is that you come to him. And for, for people to think you've got to get your life cleaned up, you've got to get rid of that filth before you come to Jesus, Jesus was born into this world to die for that filth. He's not concerned about it, how good you've been, how bad it Just come to him no matter what your condition is. And back to Luke. It says, after seeing him, they're talking about Jesus, the shepherds told everyone what had happened and what the angel had said to them about this child. All who heard the shepherd's story were astonished. Verse 20, the shepherds went back to their flocks, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen. It was just as the angel had told them. I doubt those shepherds were ever the same. God came into their story in his time and allowed them to be a part of such a world-changing event. I doubt they were ever the same, and how could they be? In the midst of, of their monotony, wishing life was a little bit different, God, in his awareness, in his love, and most importantly, in his timing, invited them into a world-changing event. They probably they could have sat in those fields and they could have spent days guessing what God had lined up for them. But they wouldn't have believed it even if they were right. And certainly moving forward, because God had allowed them to be a, a part of something so great, I'm sure those shepherds, from move, you know, there on out, they probably always trusted God. They probably trusted his timing because they were a part of the incredible things he had done for them. And when it comes to accepting God's timing for the things in our lives, I think myself included, for a lot of us, we struggle with that timing because we don't think about the things God has already done for us. 
And there are things that, that, that you want in life as you, as you look at your life, no matter what the condition of it is, there's probably a laundry list of things that you would love to change. If it was in your timing and your power, you would, you would change those things. They're good things, probably. Honestly, as I look at my life, I could provide you, I could open a scroll, and we could spend 30 minutes talking about all the things that I wish was different in my life, too. And if it was in my power and in my timing, those things would have changed already. So it makes total sense that, that we want things to change in, in our timing, but I think the question that we have to ask is, will we trust God in his timing? Even though we're not crazy about some of the details of our life, the condition of our life, maybe we wish we had a whole life altogether. But, but in your timing, your power, you, you can't provide that for you. So will you trust God with his timing? You know, I think God has already proven his love for us. He sent his son Jesus into this world to one, be a beautiful model for how people like you and I should live lives of, of hope and love and peace. But he also sent Jesus into this world to, to die on a cross for us. And it was in his timing. The book of Romans tells us when we were utterly helpless, Christ came, so Christ was born at just the right time and died for us sinners. Now, most people would not be willing to die for an upright person, though someone might perhaps be willing to die for a person who's especially good. But God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. We weren't cleaned up yet. And since we have been made right in God's sight by the blood of Christ, he will certainly save us from God's condemnation. So we have trusted God with some pretty big things, right? We trust God that, 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 that our faith in, in his son's death, our faith in Jesus Christ's death, is going to give us the forgiveness of our sins that at the end of our life, we're not going to go to hell. We're trusting God with a pretty big thing. We're trusting him at his word for our eternal life. But do we trust him with, with the timing for things in our life right here, right now? That is something that I have struggled with more this year than any other year. Um, being fully transparent this year, I, I, have, I have struggled mightily with, with God in, in his timing. I'm sure a lot of us have. And I've gone to him different times about different things, and I know he's listening, and, and I believe he is, but he's not acting when I want him to, and we've had some discussions, we, God and I have this year. And I think I've learned more about how much God loves me by not acting in my timing than I ever would have imagined. And although it's been a difficult year for me and likely a lot of us as we wrestle with God's timing, there's been a couple things that I found out the hard way is true about my life. I want to share those two things with you because I think a lot of us are going to find out it's true for our lives and trusting God's timing as well. And the first is this. Our ability to wait on God's timing is largely related to how much we trust him. Our ability to wait on God's timing in all of the details, big or small in our life, is largely related to how much we trust him. When I find myself doubting his plan and doubting his timing for my life, which I've done this year so much, when I'm being transparent with myself, I realize God's not the issue. My heart, my head is the issue. Because every time that I'm like, God, what are you doing? What is going on? Why aren't things this way, this way? Basically, what I'm saying is, God, I don't trust you. I know I preach about it, but, but I'm not trusting you with this situation. That, that's what it is, because our ability to wait on God's timing is largely related to how much we actually trust God. It's hard to admit that, but it's true. Proverbs chapter 3 actually commands us to trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not depend 
on your own understanding. Trust God with all your heart and do not depend on your own understanding. So in that same moment, as we stand in kind of the mess of our lives, as we're struggling with God's timing or stressing over the things that aren't the way we want it to be, we have a choice right then and there, and we can pivot from from questioning everything to worshiping God. We, We can pivot from, I don't know what you're doing. I need this done now. Are you listening? Are you there? And we can stop and say, well, wait a minute. I need to trust in the Lord with all my heart. And when we can pivot and say, God, look, I don't know what you're doing, but I do know you're a better judge for what I need and when I need it than what I am. You know, trust in God, it's kind of like that muscle you have to build up. And if you don't exercise trust, it's just never going to grow. Now, sticking towards the middle of our Bible, Psalm 32.10 tells us, many sorrows come to the wicked, but unfailing love surrounds those who trust the Lord. Many sorrows come to the wicked, but unfailing love surrounds those who trust the Lord. So if unfailing love comes to those who trust in the Lord, then we're going to have to be patient with the Lord. And patience is tough. But what I've learned in my life, and I bet it's true in yours, is that our patience often reveals the degree of trust we have in God's timing. Our patience often reveals the degree of actual trust we have in God's timing. When it comes to our relationship with God, and even a lot of our relationship with people who have power in our lives, trust and patience go hand in hand. Yet I think both trust and especially patience are, are things that are becoming increasingly rare in our culture. Uh, specifically as it pertains to technology, people like you and I, we can get instant satisfaction. Uh, we, we want something, we can get it in our life. And, and, and I'm not saying technology is bad by any means, but I can say I don't think it's leading us towards patience whatsoever. Uh, here's, a, here's a good example from my life, one that absolutely terrified me. Um, last week, uh, last Monday at 10 a.m., my wife said, Josh, I need a new phone case. And, you know, in my mind, I'm like, oh, no, you don't. And then my son showed off that left hand that's going to get us a scholarship one day. If you did, he's two and a half, if, if you want some thoughts. <laughs> he picks up the phone and he chucks it. And I'm like, yeah, you're, a case is a lot cheaper than a new phone. So I jumped on Amazon. It is 10 a.m. Put that thing in the cart. I don't know, like read my face or use my thumbprint. Anyways, I perched it in seconds. And I thought, like, I told Julie, like, you know what? It's probably going to be two days, holiday season, maybe even longer. So I had kind of forgotten that I ordered the phone case Monday morning at 10 a.m. Well, right after sunset, just by some freak chance of God probably laughing in heaven, I opened my front door to a woman taking a picture of me on the porch. It completely terrified me. For a second, I was flattered because I'm like, I bet this is what Leonardo DiCaprio feels like every single day. How... But, I mean, we were face-to-face, and there's just a flash. And, of course, she was taking the picture of the cell phone case that she just dropped off. Ordered at 10 a.m., 4, like 47. It's sitting right there on our doorstep. And I can tell you this much, that type of service, though desired, does nothing but grow my impatience. Because now everything, I'm like, it's been like three hours. Where's that, right? Like, because that's how the world spins right now. It's growing our impatience. The point being that we are becoming those increasingly impatient people. And we'd be absolute fools to think that that is not impacting our relationship with God. Because it is. But 1 Corinthians 13.1, it tells us among other things that love is patient. Love is patient. 
And so as we are, are waiting on God to act, as we're waiting on what we think is he's trying to sort out the details, as we are waiting on God's timing, we have to understand that we don't have to idly wait. But we can love our great God by showing him how patient we are being, how much we are trusting his priorities in our lives. Now here's three real quick small verses. You can probably memorize them if you're disciplined enough um, that, that have helped me to remain patient with God as I'm waiting for him to act in his life and I'm not trying to take the reins. And I think that, that some of these will encourage you as well. First one, Psalm 37, seven. It says, be still in the presence of the Lord and wait patiently for him to act. Be still in the presence of the Lord and wait patiently for him to act. Now, I don't know if you noticed in there, but, but there's a correlation, there's a rhythm, there's a blueprint for, for how we can be patient. It says, be still in the presence of the Lord. Like if you want to patiently wait for God to act, then you have to put yourself around him. You have to put yourself in his presence. You have to be connected to scripture. You gotta be praying. You gotta be gathering with like-minded believers. If, if you wanna wait patiently and trust God to act, then you have to put yourself in his presence. There's no other way around it. And similarly in Lamentations 3.25, it says, the Lord is good to those who wait for him, to the soul who seeks him. Once again, there's this correlation to people being, being patient. God's going to be good to you, but you just got to wait. You got to be patient, but you also have to be seeking him because if you're not seeking God, you cannot be patient with God. And then lastly, Isaiah 40, 31, but those who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint, but those who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. You see, what I want us to, to, to realize as individuals, as a church family, is that, you see, just like those shepherds, God has not forgotten about you. I know it may feel like it because some of the details of your life, some of us are, are at all-time lows. And, and we think that the blessings of our life and the quality of our life will naturally reflect how much God loves us and wants good things in our life, but, but God has not forgotten about you. When you think... Your life is beyond repair. When, when you wish there were good things in it, God, he's not absent of those thoughts. He hears you. He's not forgotten about you. And just like those shepherds in that field, it was dark, it was cold. I know that, that there's so much in our life that just seems so dark, that seems just so cold. The part of our responsibility of people who live by faith is to assume that God is behind the scenes waiting to bring something incredible into our life, a light that we will never believe it would come anywhere else but from him. Now, I've never been a health and wealth gospel false teacher, but I want you to know that, that just because we're going through some stuff and we're waiting on God's timing to bring his light into our life, it doesn't mean that he's going to fix every crack we have. We're going to take lumps in our life. This is a dark, fallen world we're living in. But if the Christmas story shows us anything, it shows us that we are loved and we are favored by him nonetheless. Our stories are not over. So just as we've done over the past few weeks, uh, as we end this teaching time, I, instead of just, just praying and I'm the only one talking and I, I exit stage and we move on to something else, I know this is a very fast-paced, busy season for a lot of us, and so we've been ending each teaching in this series by just slowing down, saying a couple prayers, and then just giving God some space in between to work on our hearts, to work on our minds, uh, to align our priorities with his, to make sure our lists are the same. And, and I'm going to do that uh, again, obviously, this morning. And so 
Uh, just as we've, we've done in weeks uh, prior, let's go ahead and, and pray together. And after each prayer, I'll, I'll leave some time for God to do what he'll do with your life. So let's pray. God, we all have, have different things we're wrestling with down here. Different parts of our story that uh, we want changed, we want altered. We, we want that promotion in life or we want that alteration in life or maybe we're standing or sitting here right now and we're looking at our life and we're wondering, how did it get this way? And that can make it hard to trust uh, your timing. But I'm thankful for the events of, of the shepherds that you, you've shown us uh, to see that your timing is always worth it. So God, as we, we come to you in prayer, uh, allow us to confess, uh, reveal to us the areas in our life where we are struggling to be patient with your timing. God, now that we've identified the, those things where we're trying to take the reins from you and we're being impatient, maybe we're lacking trust a little bit, God, remind us in these moments of all you've already done to prove your love to us. God, now comes the time where we need to understand that you've earned the trust for us to, to allow your timing to be present in our life. So we want to take some time and, and just tell you that we love you. Maybe it's been a long time since we've said that and believed it, but, but we love you. And we trust that you know what is best for our lives, even if we can't see it. Maybe confess that to you. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.